if one is going to go through the act of replatforming, could you not think of sticking with the same language, but rebuilding the same thing using modern techniques, essentially as replatforming? Yes, you could think of that as replatforming, but I think that it would be totally valid for any team to decide we don't think that this platform has a future whether in general or with us, we have reasons that we just don't want to be with this platform. And that's a totally valid reason to switch, right? Like if literally 100% of your team hates working on it, on that platform, (laughs) problem, yeah, that's a valid reason to to find something else. Or the language is actually not being supported anymore. Like that would be right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's And hiring. Yeah, hiring is a really good reason to... Welcome to Working Code with your three hosts who never make off by one errors, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 49. And on today's show, we're going to discuss replatforming, a topic that kind of came up in uh, our Discord this morning. And actually, we've kind of meta-discussed this in the past on episode 25. We'll discuss that a little bit later, but we're going to revisit it and we're actually going to answer the questions this time. But first, as usual, we're going to do our triumphs and fails. And Carol, it is your turn to go first. Yeah, guys, I'm going to kick us off with a triumph. So we hired a new engineer and I have spent 10 solid working days mentoring him. And he has two pull requests out and he is working pretty smoothly, which is pretty much like record for us. We never get anyone out this quick. Usually it takes a lot longer just to get through training and onboarding. And we straight up have them rolling and it's really, really good. I'm very stressed out because I miss writing code and I am just tired of answering questions all day long. But he's gotten two (laughs) PRs out. He's got tests. He's got tasks over in testing. And I feel like I've just done a really good job onboarding someone for my first time onboarding. And it just went really well. So I'm going to call it a triumph. And I'm really happy with it. So yeah. Wins. Can I ask, was it a senior role or a junior role or somewhere in between that? It's senior. We only hire senior engineers. So we don't hire any junior um, for our company. We only hire pretty qualified people. So it is someone who already knows code, but the code isn't the issue. It's understanding a whole new workflow. It's someone who's never written tests before. So I spent four hours yesterday morning just going through how mocking works. Because if you've Mm. never written a test before and you don't understand mocking, you just can't wrap your head around it. So I was getting some pushback from him on this just isn't going to work. This is, I'm like, look, just type it. Type what I'm saying and let me show you. <laughs> it's literally a testing framework. Trust me, when it calls the Git for this, we've told it what Git's going to be. It's going to know that we've told it what the data is going to be for it. And then when it runs, he's like, oh my God. <laughs> so it's just <laughs> mind blown. Mind blown. I'm like, just trust me type the words. So it's just been, it's been good. It's been good for me to kind of re-see someone new to it as well. But I just feel mm-hmm. like it's went really well and I'm happy. It's the first time I've mentored someone here. So I'm happy. Yeah. Try it. And I, I think I pretty know who, pretty much know who you're talking about. He's a smart guy. So he catches on yeah, pretty quick. He catches on, and he's eager to learn and, you know, wants to show himself pretty quickly. So it helps. Yeah. 
And were you a pair programming when this was going on? I mean, how did you onboard him? Yeah. So I signed in through, I literally have just sat with him for hours and hours on Google Hangouts. It seemed to be the easiest way to show everything. So he's showing me his code. And rather than me taking control and typing, which is what I would have done in the past, I would just been like, here, let me type that out for you. I'm like, no, 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 backspace. Type this exact thing. Enter. (laughs) And now do you see it? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, now I see it. So it was a lot of describing what I was doing, but having him actually do it. And having him run it locally and have him run all the tests locally so that he wasn't just seeing what I was doing. He's actually doing it himself. So took longer, but I think he learned a lot better and a lot more thoroughly than if we'd done it kind of the old way, which was me doing it and just observing. Yeah, that's me. Cool. Excellent. How about you, Adam? I have a triumph this week. It's actually a triumph from today. We are actually considering, let's call it relevant. We are kind of sort of considering replatforming one little like module of our application. Basically, it's written in React, but it's like super old React. It's like React 14 or 13, something like that. And it's on a really old stack of Babel and Webpack. And it's a maintenance, it's a, yeah, it's a maintenance nightmare just because it's so outdated. We haven't done anything to keep it up to date. And so every time we have to make a change, it's hell on earth to mm-hmm. to deal with. And we could put in the work to sort of bring it up to modern React, but we've grown to have some growing, like a lot of the decisions that we made when we made that app were later changed and the code wasn't as cleanly refactored. Things were kind of left in a little bit of a messy state. And so we are also eager for a rewrite at the same time. And so I've been given the green light to do some experimentation with Svelte and Tailwind. And oh my goodness, it is fire. I have had so much fun. Today was one of those days when you just like, I got the headphones on, I crank up the music to 11, even though my tinnitus is already like really bad. I've got the, the caffeine on full tilt and I'm just like cranking away, having so much fun learning and writing code and playing with new toys. And I love it. It's amazing. There's things I had to figure out. Nothing is ever easy, (laughs) but it's just my read on Svelte is like they took everything that's annoying about writing an app with React and just made it better. That's cool. Yeah, you have to give us more detail when we get into the meat of this topic today. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to relate well. Maybe, but yeah. So I've just had a tremendously fun day and I'm still riding the high from that. So that's me. Is that what the host, do you guys listen to the bike shed? Oh, yeah. Is that what the host works on? They do a lot of spelt projects, right? Yeah. He does spelt, and so does the guys from uh, Syntax. Okay. Yeah, Scott from Syntax does a good amount of spelt. I think Wes probably has experimented with it, but Scott is all about it. So Scott Tolinsky has a a, a course platform. Like He sells new courses, just like video tutorial courses, a new one every month. And so he's got this whole platform and he converted the whole thing to Svelte. He, did, he said he got to like 80% in a weekend. So Holy noise. cow. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they kind of kicked the can on it for a while. He's like, eh, that's, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to like, oh, I'm just going to rewrite the whole thing. And he was like, but I'm interested. So he was like, well, let's, let me see how far I can get in a weekend. And it, the weekend was over. He's like, holy cow, I'm this close. Might as well finish it up. So yeah. It's it's really interesting technology. They're they're getting really popular. The developer satisfaction is really high. The tooling is great. I, I'm just having a blast. Can't speak highly enough about it. So, and Tailwind too. This is my first project using Tailwind, and 
like I said, I, this is my first project and I'm not super up on it, but my first impression is that it's like CSS bumper bowling, right? So you can. What is Tailwind? Can you circle back to that? Yeah. So Tailwind is like a framework for making your own CSS design system, sort of like it's got a default sort of uh, set of colors and whatever. You can change all of that. But really where I think Tailwind thrives is that it has good defaults for spacing, right? So you, it, instead of saying like the spacing is three pixels or nine pixels or whatever, it, it's like it has levels, right? So like padding one, padding two, padding three, padding four, padding five, padding six, all the way up to, I think it goes to 10. And it's not just like one pixel, two pixel, three pixel. The higher the number, the the larger it's growing. It sort of grows nice. exponentially. Nice. And But it's consistent, right? You're padding and your margins. So as long as you're staying within this system of like number ranges they give you, it kind of, like I said, it's bumper bowling. It's not going to keep you from, what's the bowling term? Get rolling a zero, right? It's not going to keep you from getting a zero, but it's going to give, make it much easier to knock down a bunch of those pins, right? Anyway, I've gone on for way too long. That's my triumph. <laughs> I'm riding high. Sorry. Ben, what do you got going on? I'm also going to follow up here with a triumph. I uh, actually took today off and I'm taking tomorrow off and uh, I've just been feeling burnt out. And uh, not burnt out, that's too extreme. I've been just feeling physically and emotionally challenged. My wrists, I've had on and off repetitive stress strains on my wrist for the last like 15 years. And usually it's really under control. And like the last two weeks, I'd say, my wrists have been really achy, just on and off all day. So I'm trying to give myself a little time to recover, which is a new concept for me. Usually I just try to muscle through it or you know, bear down. So I'm pretty excited. I feel like I've reached a level of maturity there in my career where I can take a few days off just for health reasons. And kind of coinciding with that, and this dovetails with the show as well, I'm using that as an opportunity or to kick off more upgrades to my blogging platform, which my blog's been around for a really long time and the code that runs it is really old. So I had my hosting provider upgrade me to the latest Adobe Cold Fusion. So as of yesterday, it's running on Adobe Cold Fusion 2021 and I was basically on Cold Fusion 10 for about a decade. So I've got many versions to now fold into the sweet CFML goodness that underlies the magic that is the visual rendering of the blog. So no, I'm pretty excited about that. You should convert it to Svelte. <laughs> well, I mean, I, maybe I'm always playing around with what I can do on the front end. I played around a little bit with a parcel, which I think is parcel might actually be what's compiling the JavaScript. But uh, yeah, I'm just excited uh, that I'm taking time off and just doing me for a while. So you took a vacation day to work on your blog. I was going to say, it sounded like you didn't take your wrist like away from the keyboard, really. No, I put a couple of, I put like two hours into it this morning, my early morning hours. And then the rest of the day, I was just out and about walking the dog, taking in the the crisp fall air and just loving life. So pretty happy about that. Good for you, man. Yeah. And just to circle back on Tailwind, one of the things that I, I feel like I've not done really well over the bulk of my career is experiment more. I do a lot of experimenting, but the experimenting is is really in a very narrow scope of things. And someone was actually asking the discord about the various online learning services. And what I want to try to do is when I have an interest in a topic, I just want to find a course on it and just take it. Even if I don't follow along with code or I don't actually try it for myself, I actually looked up tailwind courses on udemy the other day and there's a 
a bunch of them and you know, they're super inexpensive. They're like 11 bucks or something for a couple of hours. And I feel like if I could just sit there and have someone tell me everything about how a technology works, then it'll set me up to decide whether or not I want to dig in deeper on my own or how I could uh, theoretically work it into something that already exists. And I want to use educational resources a lot more than I have historically just going forward. I get that. Yeah, we get Udemy at work and I have found myself just streaming them in the background and listening, even if I'm not following along and actually doing the project or writing the code with it. One of the recent ones I did was on just some container stuff. And I was like, even though I'm not building out everything when it's, with it, just hearing the hierarchy of it and hearing how they work. I'm like, okay, it's making sense to me. Like some of the things I didn't know are clicking. So I get that. I get the playing it in the background like I do a podcast. So yeah. I can dig it. All right, Tim, what do you take us home? What do you got? Well, I'm going to make this four of a kind. I'm going to Vegas, baby. Because I also have a triumph. So I had four days in a row of just very focused coding, which for me lately has been very rare because I, I wear so many different hats. I've been doing a lot more on the strategic side and the management side lately, just getting prepared for next year. But it's like I had four straight days where all I did was head down, lost track of time, got in the flow, and just reminds me why I'm in this job. It just made me happy. So that's great. And Separately from work, I've actually read a physical book. I've actually read a physical book for the first time in a long time. I actually bought a book. I listened to it first and it was so good. I had to actually buy it. I posted it in our working code discord, but it's called uh, how to think like a Roman emperor about Marcus Aurelius, <laughs> who was a stoic philosopher and also the emperor of Rome. Just so good. It's a combination of history of learning about philosophy of stoicism and a bit of psychological the guy who wrote it is a he's a psychologist who teaches cognitive behavioral therapy and he just kind of shows how stoicism and cognitive behavioral therapy which which came out of stoicism actually is they're very similar and just kind of how to just think better so yeah i'm fascinated by stoicism tim ferris i believe is a big stoic fan for our work week guy yeah, no, but the more I read it, the more I realize it's like there's, it just puts into words sort of the things I've kind of already known and, and tried to apply in my life, but it just sort of gives you a methodology of how to progress even better. So just a really great book. All right. Glad to hear you read something interesting. Cool. So let's transition into our discussion for today. So as I mentioned earlier, we did kind of discuss this topic back on episode 25. What was that called? Breaking up with your stack, something like that. And I went back and looked at the notes from that. And it seems like we mostly discussed sort of like meta aspects of it, right? Why would you want to or why would you not want to and things to consider? Like pros and cons. Yeah. But one thing we didn't discuss in that episode, if I remember correctly, is what we would pick and why. And the topic came up in our Discord this morning. One of our patrons asked if, he said, I have this set of constraints and we are going to be replatforming because we're not going to stay where we are and X, Y, and Z requirements. And what would you pick if you were in his shoes? So uh, we thought that was a good topic to consider. So basically he's transitioning away from what he called a traditionally coded CFML app. So that was in quotes. And what he meant by that is like garbage code, right? Spaghetti code and lots of bad practices. And he said, it's mostly a typical web app, right? It's got a database and it's kind of your typical crud thing, but they're not 
interested in replacing the database and is business facing, not public facing. A good amount of code, but not an overwhelming amount. He said it's about 50,000 lines of code. They are not averse to learning a completely new language. Part of their mandate is to, if it's deemed worthy to do the training on a new programming language, they want something statically typed. I think it was not in his original post, but he definitely said for them, JavaScript is off the table. So then they are not considering like Node or TypeScript. It's mostly REST-based web services. Yeah, but given those constraints, statically typed, you have a good amount of code, but it's accomplishable, right? You could maybe get 50,000 lines of codes done in, what, six months? Oh, and, and Ben would like this one. He wants community-accepted quality linting standards. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's even the point? And being able to hire developers is important too. Oh yeah, that was a good one, yeah. Well, I think that's key for anyone right now who's thinking of a technology switch is what is the community support for it and can I find people to write it? Because why would you go to a a language that you can't find people to support? That doesn't make sense. So that's an easy check off. Uh, Well, it's an important thing. I don't know that it's going to be necessarily easy to determine, right? So when I think of if I need to find, I need to consider all possible language switches and I need to make sure it's going to be easy to hire somebody. The thing that to me says easy to hire is going to be a rapidly growing community, not just growing, but rapidly growing because there's a huge shortage of developers, qualified developers for the number of jobs that are available and the number of jobs is growing too. Yeah. And I feel like he, he shot himself in the foot a little bit by saying no node, like that's a huge well, I mean, community. he said that that's not his. It's not his preference. He's not a huge fan of JavaScript, but that's coming from above. So they don't. He mm-hmm. doesn't have a choice. Node is already off the table. Ah, so they've killed it for him. It's not that he's shooting mm-hmm. it down. It's that he's been told no. Right. Okay. Here's what I don't understand, though, because it, if you, if you look at an existing application that's old, mm-hmm. the people who wrote that crap code were probably people who were fairly new to the language in which it was mm-hmm. written. Yeah, I agree. So. Part of me always feels like if you're going to jump into a rapidly growing community, it's mm-hmm. going to be with a bunch of people who are very new to the language in which the stuff is being written. Like, aren't they just destined to write the same crap code as well? <laughs> can easily happen. Well, so you're not wrong, but this particular patron, I don't know his exact job title, but I know... We love you the most. <laughs> I, like I said, I don't know his exact job title, but I do know that he is, uh, let's just approximate let's just call him an agile coach, right? Like his job is Mm -hmm. not so much to be an engineer as it is to be like a a mentor, like to whip people into shape. And he's got a lot of experience and strong preferences around clean code and refactoring and testing. And I (laughs) certainly uh, know he's not scared to crack the whip and try to force people to get in line. And as long as he's got the management backing to tell the rest of the team that they have to listen to him, then I think that it could be possible, right? He gets testing and refactoring and clean code and all these things. And yes, absolutely. The code that you write, the code that I've been writing all day today in my new Svelte project, I'm sure is garbage, but I'm coming at it from the the perspective of, I know it's garbage, but I have to get Mm -hmm. something on the page that works and then I'll make it better, right? Like refactor it. So you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, to be clear, I'm not saying that you should only choose languages in which you can write perfect code. I'm just saying that. So if I can go out on a small tangent for a second. So at, at the top of the show, I mentioned that I'm, I'm working on some of my blogging infrastructure and the code that runs my blog currently 
is cold fusion code, which is what I'm still writing today, but it's terrible cold fusion code. Like it's just enough to work and it's terrible. And I spent a couple hours this morning deleting loads of components, like literally probably two dozen, maybe more components, taking some of them, ripping them apart, refactoring them, moving them into other components, all without linting or unit tests, not a single unit test, by the way. And you move it into something that's better and more modernized and and reads well and, and is more maintainable. At least that's the hope. And so I guess I, it, it, it's okay when stuff is garbage, as long as you just continue to evolve it over time. I, mm-hmm. I think where garbage code really is demonized is when it's garbage code and then it's left alone. Exactly. It works is step one of like nine. Right. <laughs> and and so often step one is like the finish line. So I don't know. I mean, I'm, just to say, like, I don't have a lot of experience with different languages. I've basically mm-hmm. been in Cold Fusion and JavaScript as my two workhorses for the last 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. So to me, I, I can't imagine being as productive or as comfortable in anything else. So the idea of replatforming to a totally different language seems like it would be a huge setback. I'm also, I'm not a good mentor and I don't have a lot of candor in the way that I communicate with people. And I tend not to be very strong in my forcing ideas onto other people. So I think this Patreon doesn't have that problem. Right, right. And I think that's a huge asset when it comes to something of this magnitude where you can switch horses and lay down the law. I, I couldn't lay down the law. I'm just my I'm just not wired for that. Sure. Yeah. No, I get that. I mean, looking at what he said, what immediately came to my mind was, so, so I can take it from two angles here, based off what he said, and then I can also take, I will internalize it and say what I would do. So based off what he said, I mean, you think about Python. Python is not a new language. It's mm-hmm. been around since the 80s. But it is currently the most popular language on the web. And there's, it's a huge community and there is, what is it? Django that they use for, to build APIs. So there's already a framework that is built to help you basically build APIs rather quickly. And so you shouldn't be able to have problems hiring people that know Python. It's got a good community support. It's got linting as well. Idiomatic Python. Yeah. And it's, it's a very expressive language, right? As well. It's not super terse. So, I mean, that's, if you had to change, that's what I would do. Personally, though, it's like I think the problem sometimes you build a REST API from scratch and you don't really know what you're doing with the REST at the beginning. And I would do exactly what I did. I'm using CFML on Lucy and using Taffy because it makes building a REST API super. It takes all the REST stuff away and I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. So that's a plug for you. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't, I look at my code and I'm proud of that code that I've done there. So it's like, I don't have a problem with that. I wouldn't want to move away from that. But it's like, if you're being forced to move away for whatever reasons, I would say Python and and Django. If you, I think if you, so Python and Django doesn't fit the strict criteria he threw out there, right? It's not statically typed. If I remember correctly, it's uh, dynamic. And but I think it probably meets all of the other requirements. Like you said, it is a, a huge community. I think the whole Python 2 versus 3 thing is interesting, but we're probably far enough past it now that it's not as big of a deal as it used to be. And I know someone threw out .NET C Sharp. Mm-hmm. But that solves the MVC problem. Yeah, and the, it's not dynamic, but mm-hmm. it only runs on Windows, which yep. was a deal killer for him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 
So uh, I want to get back to Ben at some point. We don't have to do it immediately, but uh, I think Ben, your hesitance to answer to, to dig in, I think is an interesting possibility, right? So we're, this is all hypothetical anyway, right? So if Adobe called you tomorrow and said, yeah. Adobe and, and Lucy both called you tomorrow and said, uh, we're shutting down no more <laughs> and it's going to stop working in six months after you were done crying. What would you start investigating next? Right. So I, you said you don't have a whole lot of experience in other things to make a suggestion. But my question for you is, surely you've heard of other programming languages. What has most mind share for you? What has piqued your interest that you would look into first or the most? What would be your criteria for deciding? Well, so I love JavaScript. So I would definitely look into something in the Node ecosystem, probably, or the Deno ecosystem. Also, because I love TypeScript and Deno is, I think, natively TypeScript, right? My my big issue is that I'm also a huge Angular fan. And it seems like a lot of the JavaScript server-side solutions focus primarily on React these days. I think Vue has one. I think Angular sort of has one, but React seems to be the one that's getting the most focus in terms of robustness of uh, of functionality. Spell can do it. Spell can do it. I mean, (laughs) so yeah, so I would definitely be pretty comfortable looking into anything within the JavaScript world. Beyond that, Ruby seems fascinating to me. It's it. I know it's not in the heyday that it was probably ten years ago, but it's still, I think, a huge community, and I think a large number of things continue to run on Ruby on Rails. I've looked at the Ruby syntax a little bit, and it's a little loosey goosey for me. It doesn't seem to have a lot of the the syntaxy stuff I like in in some of the other languages, but that's not speaking from experience here. But I I have no problem jumping into a language that's been around for a really long time. To Tim's point, Python's been around for 30 years, and it's hugely popular, and it's not going anywhere. Uh, I know Ruby on Rails is not the the bell of the ball, but it's also a huge productivity language. And the the Ruby itself was designed for developer happiness, Mm -hmm. I believe was the the motto. So I love the idea of developer happiness because that's so much of what CFML Cold Fusion is all about. Yeah. I experimented with Ruby and Rails a few years back, and I agree. I think that from a language design perspective, I really liked Ruby itself. I didn't really jive with Rails. And again, I was a newbie at the whole thing, so I'm sure I did it poorly. But it just didn't work out for me. That's an interesting perspective, though. One thing I didn't hear from you is any interest in, say, Rust or Go or any of these other sort of newer. I'll tell you, I've looked at Go. I know people love Go. I look at it and I cannot stand it. So you've seen it. It is. We use it at work a lot. He's talked about this. Adam, where have you been at? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm over here running the show. (laughs) This is a big philosophical thing for language design, I guess. I'm a huge fan of throwing errors. When you give me something and it's not the thing I need, I will throw an error. And I can do it in ColdFusion. I can do it in JavaScript. Go is like vehemently against the idea of ever throwing an error or panicking. Everything returns error objects or non-error objects. And you have like half of the code that you look at is littered with these if an error object came back, then deal with it, which usually just means like returning another error object yeah. and everything else has to check. I mean, it's basically the antithesis, I feel like, of so much of what Uncle Bob Martin was saying in Clean Code uh, about separating concerns and readability. Yeah. And it's just... You said you had some interest in Node. Have you done old school, like we call it airback, 
like error first callback. Yeah, yeah. Um, I callback hell, and yeah, I've played around with Express oh. the pre-promises. Now that promises are are native to the language and async await, and definitely stuff looks way nicer now mm-hmm. from a a readability standpoint. I mean, my cold fusion code and my TypeScript code more or less look exactly the same these days, same. which I really like. Same, mm. exact same here. I was realizing that the yeah. other day. I was like, wow, you really don't see a big difference between how the two are written because of just how it's just how I write. Yeah. So yeah, I think I'd be pretty comfortable in a node situation. Right. Carol, did you answer? Like the the whole hypothetical situation? Yeah, it's hard for me to think that through because I write in a TypeScript project and I can't mm-hmm. see going off that. I mean, I have a legacy You're happy with support it? as well. Yeah, but I'm happy with what I, with where I am. So it's hard to think of moving off of something that's new and hot still well, that has yeah. a lot of community support and people love and it's working well. So I'm having a hard time thinking what I would move this to. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the place that you are probably satisfies most of his requirements except the one that it can't be JavaScript. Right. Right. It doesn't have uh, enforced separation between model view and controller, but other than that, I think it's pretty much checks all the boxes. Enforce that ourselves. So yeah. Well, then I guess that leaves me. I was the one that threw out C sharp.net in the discussion in Discord, not because I particularly like it. I do have some experience with it, and it was fine. But I think that it suffers from the same thing that I don't like about Java, which is that it just gets really verbose really fast. At least. When I was doing it mm-hmm. 10 plus years ago, this was like r- maybe two or three years before they introduced like, I think they call it ASP.NET MVC or .NET MVC or whatever it is. Yeah, um, yeah. Razor pages. Eh, I don't know. It, this was like, they called it postback was the paradigm of the yeah, time. Yeah, it would postback the entire state of the page, that thing. Yeah. 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 I remember that. Yeah. So wasn't a huge fan. I did like the C sharp again, going back to like language design, C sharp as a language I liked. I thought developer happiness writing C-sharp code itself was good, but the .NET framework and and using that to get it onto the web was not my metaphor of choice. Here's something that, so as I was mentioning earlier, I spent a a couple hours this morning refactoring my blog platform, which this is just step one in a really long journey. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting to see the style of code that I was attempting to write 10 years ago versus Mm -hmm. the code that I write today. Because the code that I was trying to write, and I say trying in in heavy air quotes because it was garbage, but it was very complicated. It was lots of components and trying to create abstractions and encapsulate things for... Like architecture astronaut stuff, right? It it was so high in the atmosphere, architecture. I was coming off of reading Headfirst Java and the Gang of Four book on design patterns and... I was trying to learn object-oriented programming and just I was trying to throw everything that I thought was clever and elegant at the page to see what would work. And it was so garbage. It was so, so garbage. And I look at the code that I write today and it's significantly more simple. I mean, it's almost like I've come full circle, right? <laughs> right. Where when I first got into programming, it was simple queries and and rendering interpolated data into templates. And then I went crazy and tried to make it complicated and solve a lot of problems that I wasn't actually having. And now I've pulled a 180 and I'm really back to simple queries that are just encapsulated a little bit nicer and some separation of concerns and then taking that data and jamming it into a template. And it's just, it's really interesting 
to see this sort of uh, return to simplicity. And it makes me think of Rich Hickey's, he's, he's done a couple of presentations where he talks about that languages, language design has all these beautiful data structures and data is really easy to work with. Objects are hard to work with. Data is really simple and that you should embrace that and lean into it. And I feel like I really, I, there, like case in point, there was one component that I deleted this morning. It was something like an array iterator. And I thought everything had to have this iterator interface that it adhered to. And then you could just next something mm. until the next return to null or like it would have a has next and then you could call next. I mean, clearly I had been reading a lot of stuff about Java. Yeah. And, and like now you look at the language and you could just four in over an array. Mm-hmm. Like no ceremony about it whatsoever. And I, and I, and I just want to return to that as much as humanly possible. So when I think about these languages, these frameworks, these language paradigms where it's a lot of frameworky stuff built into it, it, at this point, I feel like, no, I want to just go back to the regular, just super easy. A request comes in, it gets routed to something that something makes some database calls and renders it. I don't know. Maybe it's childish, but I, I'm, I'm just craving this return to simplicity. Ah, the good old days. <laughs> Back in my day, children. I crave the simplicity on the server side stuff, but I'm still leaning into the complexity on the client side. Like I, things like Svelte. You're Angular. Yeah. Like I'm Angular. You're going to have this giant ass compilation step that does a whole bunch of things. Like I'm okay with that. Yeah, we just know it's there. Yeah, for what it does. I'm still okay writing just a vanilla JavaScript file if I just need a simple page that does a simple thing, right? And that's something that I think I'd like to look into Svelte for as well. I think most of us do that. Just put something simple up just to make it do the little thing, not try adding super complex to it. But you were mentioning, Adam, about the .NET projects, right? So what Mm -hmm. I liked about writing C-sharp was that it had the model view controller split out, right? So, I mean, it's required. Mm -hmm. We had to do it that way. But what I didn't like is when I wrote it, we also used Knockout. I don't know if you've ever used Knockout before, but Knockout is a model view view controller itself. So then Mm -hmm. everything had this whole other layer of JavaScript type model view controller that had to be laid on top of it. And I'm like, why do I have so many models and so many views? Like this does not make sense anymore. So they just complicated it by adding this extra layer on top of it. And I was like, no. Um, wasn't it like MVVM? Yeah, MVVM. Uh-huh, it yep. was model, view, and view model. View model, yep. Model, view, and view model. Yeah. yeah. On top of a model view controller project are like already set up. And yeah. I'm like, what model am I in again? Like exactly I'm on to. this model to get to that model. And I was like, oh man, to get to that controller. <laughs> I'm like, done. I quit. I'm like, I'm yep. going back to yep. CF, you guys. <laughs> this is stupid. <laughs> was that was that called Leonardo DiCaprio? <laughs> From this model to that model? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, I had to find my what was the thing he spun around in the movie? His yeah. totem. Yeah, yeah. He his totem. I had to go find it. Where was that? Is this the real one or not? So yeah. It's awful. You can like mess yourself up so bad when you start adding layers on top of layers. Yeah. So uh, I guess I had another thought, sort of meta about this, the original question here, like what would you do? And I think that we kind of discussed this in the past. It's not just the best tool for the job, but it's the best tool for the the project and the people on the team and the current time and a couple of other factors. And I think that has to factor in too, right? Like if you've a hundred junior developers and two senior developers, then you're going to have a whole lot harder time learning a more complicated language if you're choosing to pick something that none of you know yet. 
than if you pick something that at least you have some familiarity with, or if your team is mostly seniors and not very many juniors, then there's a lot of context that's going to come into play here. So I wanted to throw that out there. And then sort of separately, my team is kind of doing this, like this whole replatforming thing. We're on, I think, probably a much longer time horizon than this original question. We don't have a deadline. So we're basically our deadline is try to slip it in little by little as much as possible without uh, interrupting productivity so that we can still be mm. profitable, get, get stuff done that our customers need us to get done because they don't care whether we're on CFML or Rust or TypeScript, right? And so all they care is that the site is online and it does what it needs to do and the accounting stuff works out. So that's where we're at is like, we are long-term going to be abandoning CFML, currently pointing ourselves toward JavaScript of some form because it is the lowest common denominator of the web, right? It's pretty much the only choice for the moment for the front end. And so we're all pretty well-versed in it for the front end we might as well use it for the back end too. It's just reusing those skills and less context switching. We are interested in TypeScript. We don't have any significant experience with it on our team, but we all agree it could provide some benefit. And yeah, so I mean, that's kind of where we're at. And and I think that the other thing that draws us to it is just the sheer volume of the community. Like it's huge, mm-hmm. almost uncountable, probably uncountable. Which community? JavaScript. And, and TypeScript to a lesser extent. But I think that it feels a bit like a vocal minority situation. But I do feel like content creators, the people that are the most followed people on Twitter, the biggest projects that you see on GitHub, all the libraries are converting to TypeScript or were started in TypeScript. And that vanilla JavaScript is falling out of favor in that crowd. But I think I that in terms of like sheer lines of code, probably JavaScript outweighs TypeScript. I would mm-hmm. guess three or four or five to one. Yeah, that's probably right. I like to use that whenever I'm adding new APIs, I'm adding new um, packages. Almost everything has samples and has references written already mm-hmm. in TypeScript. So I, if I get lost on something or I get confused or I'm having a hard time, there's usually projects out there that already have it because the samples and like the documentation have a TypeScript version of it. So easy, cheaty way to go find things. <laughs> The other thing that I'm really trying to optimize for is like the the least number of pieces that I have to integrate myself, right? So just say you need a, a JavaScript project and you want uh, a certain UI library and you you want maybe to use Tailwind for that and you want uh, a certain testing thing and you want to use TypeScript and you want this and that. You got to, a, a lot of times you have to wire all those things together. And sometimes there's, okay, well, if you want to use our framework with TypeScript, here's how you do that. But then it doesn't, when you start to mash too many things together, there tends to be places where it sort of falls apart and that can be really frustrating. So I'm trying to optimize for as little of that as possible. Pick two or three things and everything else just kind of gets rolled in, rolled by hand or as much as possible stays separate, right? Like our testing lives off to the side. It's not integrated with anything. If one is going to go through the act of replatforming, could you not think of sticking with the same language, but rebuilding the same thing using modern techniques essentially as replatforming? Yes, you could think of that as replatforming, but I think that it would be totally valid for any team to decide we don't think that this platform has a future, whether in general or with us, we have reasons that we just don't want to be with this platform. And that's a totally valid reason to switch, right? Like if literally 100% of your team hates working on it, on that platform. <laughs> There's a problem. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's a valid reason to, to find something else. Or the language is actually not being supported anymore. Like that would be. Right. Really yeah, 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 yeah. That's and, and hiring. Yeah. Hiring is, a, hiring is a really good reason to. Well, let me ask for some clarity on that because from everything that I've heard on various podcasts, it seems like hiring is just hard, period, everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't do any hiring myself personally, but we use a lot of Golang at work. And part of the reason that we switched a lot of services over to Golang was because it was going to be so much easier to hire people and for this new hot language. And I'm pretty sure in the Golang world, a lot of people are having trouble finding Golang programmers. Yeah, I can't speak to Golang. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, but I think tech is so hot. Yeah. It's so hot right now. I think everybody's hot. having trouble finding people. So we've had two open recs on our team for over a year. And it's taken over a year to find people qualified to do the job because senior engineers aren't leaving their CF jobs. Those companies, once they get the offer, they're mm-hmm. counter offering because they know they can't replace that person. So it is really really hard to find a a senior CF engineer that can leave their job because when they're like, oh, we're going to leave for money, their company is like, oh, well, we'll give you more. So just stay here where you already know what the devil in the closet looks like as opposed to opening up a whole new CF can of worms, you know? So Yeah, yeah. And plus, it's just, I mean, it's hard to find developers, period, right now, right? Demand is outstripping the supply. The only hiring I've done anytime recently, we were specifically looking for CF developers and we did get a reasonable number of applications, but I got to believe that if I went on to your average JavaScript discord or Slack and said, Hey, I'm hiring, submit your resumes here. I would probably have gotten easily 10 times as many people to submit. Mm-hmm. Agree. I think. Yeah, probably. I, I'm trying to recruit Scala engineers and they're, they're like, <laughs> rare. They're well, like, see, that came up in the Discord this morning. There, another person on our Discord said that there was some discussion of Kotlin and Scala and a couple of other, I want to say Elm? Maybe not yeah, Elm. Yeah, okay, I can't Elm. imagine. I'm going to find too many Kotlin engineers. Yeah. So when I'm looking for Scala, I'm just like, do you know yeah. you know, func- it's, it's functional, so, right? It's something a functional similar, design? right? Yeah, yeah, some, some, yeah. yeah. Like any sort of not procedural language, just, yeah, just anything not procedural, like functional language, fine, come on. <laughs> I'll take anybody. I'll take anybody. Yeah, I mean, I like to think of it as like fishing, right? So when you're trying yeah. to hire somebody, you're fishing. It's not a perfect metaphor, but you can fish in a puddle or you can fish in, you know, the Great Lakes, right? Which mm-hmm. one are you going to pick? Which is going to have more fish? So, yeah, I mean, and that's sort of the thing I was looking to why I recommended Python is because in America, our Patron is not necessarily in America. I think he's in England, but over here, the mo- one of the most popular languages to learn in college is Python right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Python and R. What? Which is more statistical. R, it's a math programming yeah. thing. It's a math program. It's more statistical and graphics kind of thing. But the, I mean, they're, they're two of the most popular languages right now in colleges. And so if you have an existing community that's that's been around for a while and you have new people coming in, that's why I recommend it. Even though it's not statically typed, which I know he was super hot on but it's like i'd be like all right right now that seems to be the thing now two three years from now it could be something completely different these things go on trends like ruby was super hot 10 years ago so yeah you just it's it's a gamble no matter what you do there's always going to be a pro or a con no matter which one you choose it's a lot of research something we haven't talked about is how would you finalize that decision and i think that 
for me, the obvious right. choice is to pick like maybe your top two and do some experimentation, right? Mm-hmm. Like this app that I'm playing with for Svelte, what I did, what our team did was we took a day and picked like the most complicated screen on our app and some other things that aren't particular to that screen, but are technically challenging. And we wrote all this down in like a list of requirements. And it's like, okay, go build something that does this. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of rebuilding that screen plus an, a couple of other pages to satisfy all those re- different requirements, just as like a proof of concept. Like, okay, if we can get this done, then we can get pretty much anything that we would want to do done. And so, and it gives you that experience. And then you come back with a, a taste in your mouth. There's a, a positive taste or a negative taste, right? You enjoyed the process or you didn't. And you can compare them to each other. I think that would be really useful for anybody considering switching languages. Yeah, we brought up a lot of this on episode 25. So we talked about a lot of the how-tos. I think if you had a little money to spend, how I would experiment with it is to have, like you said, my team build it in a language, but then also hire a outsourced like to a consultant or someone who's very knowledgeable and say, give them the use case, mm-hmm. you build something like this, and then compare how different the two solutions are and why, mm-hmm. right? Because obviously if I'm just new to a language, I'm going to probably make a lot of rookie mistakes or design decisions that probably shouldn't have had. And then if I see afterward, I see how someone else solved the exact same problem could probably give me a better, because, because you might come to a wrong decision based off the fact that you just didn't know what you're doing. Yeah. So I, I think about programming paradigms and essentially thinking about just the life cycle of a request, not even talking about distributed systems and message queues and eventing and that kind of stuff. But essentially a request comes into the server. It has to be handled by something that something gathers data. And then that something also renders a response to the client. And are, are different languages so radically different in, in how it does those? I guess what I'm saying is it, I think that there are different languages have somewhat different there's like different camps of how this is done and sure. all the languages in one camp is it really going to matter is is having the language going to make or break the success of the product if essentially that language is doing the same thing it's kind of like what adam said my customer doesn't care how i write it they care how they yeah. see it right they see they just want to see the number their bill at the end of the month and they want to see that it came out on the screen correctly they don't care how it got there so I'm yep. with you. Like, if it's working good for you, use that language. I mean, so the language syntax might not be completely different. I mean, I've if you're writing an ECMA script type language, they all look extremely similar. But perhaps how you build the application and architect it can be very different depending on the language, in my opinion. The, the question was, it has been decided we're moving. Have no choice. Right. So, yeah. Right, right, right. And from there, go, right? So, And at, at what phase does he switch over to Postgres? <laughs> <laughs> now. Just no, now. no, no. He said no database changes. He said no database change, but he should reconsider that. <laughs> Cockroach DB, For buddy. Sure. Yeah. I, I guess the only other thought would be to change only one thing at a time. I don't necessarily know how well you can do that in a replatforming, but it, it, don't try to bring too many things into the replatforming at one time. Like, yeah, just do the one thing that you think is going to make the biggest difference. And I think another one of our patrons on there, he recommended Kotlin for the very reason that it's on JVM as well. So Mm. you possibly run them side by side the exact same time, which I get, but 
I don't know how many Kotlin people are going to yeah. find out there. I've never even heard of it. So I, I, I had to Google it after he recommended it. So yeah, I don't feel so bad now. <laughs> okay, but I mean, not like I know every language out there. So that guy's a lot smarter than me. This episode of Working Code was brought to you by Hansel. He's so hot right now. <laughs> hey, I like it. I like it. And listeners like you. If you like what we're doing here, you might want to consider supporting us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com slash workingcodepod. Patreon, if you don't know, is just a place where you can go to donate money to the things that you love to help them continue to exist. You can support us for as little as $4 a month. And all of our patrons get our after show and early access to new episodes as soon as they're ready. Typically lately, it's been at least a week. Of course, we need to top thank our top patrons, Monty and Peter. So thank you guys so much for your support. If patronizing podcasts isn't your thing, no worries. We appreciate that you take the time to listen. If you enjoyed this episode, you should post about it on your social media. Uh, and it would also really help us out if you left us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Please send us your questions and show topics on Twitter or Instagram at Working Code Pod, or you can leave us a message at 512-253-2633. That's 512-253-CODE. Or you can join our Discord, now public, and share your ideas with us there. And yeah, I guess that's it. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember, your heart matters, even if you're dynamically typed. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code. I had a thought, you guys, how we were discussing, like, what do we want to do for our one-year anniversary show? Yeah. I came up with an idea. I got an idea. All right. We're going to pivot, and we're going to become an unboxing podcast. No. Carol's just like... <laughs> She's going to take apart cold box stuff? No. No, no. Just going to buy stuff and open it on here, and then I get Perfect. it to do it as a tax write-off. I go. will do it if people send me boxes for free. <laughs>